Thanks for joining us today on Open the Word with Circle of Friends. I'm Missy. And I'm Gwen. It's nice to be together again, Gwen, on the podcast. Uh, And it's nice to have our listeners with us as we open God's Word and we chat a little bit. What I really love when we come to the table is, you know, we talk about what are we going to talk about? What are we going to look at? And the Bible is so full and there's so many places we can go and it's all good, all exciting. But I love that God sort of leads us on this journey where either it's something that we've been reading or one of us has been reading or God's been speaking to us about or, you know, something's kind of been, you know, bubbling up in the back of our minds. And then we open his word and it's an amazing journey to go through it and see and to Uh, even if it's familiar passages, to go through those passages and find new insight. I mean, it's, it's literally a living, breathing book. I mean, it changes lives. It cuts to the soul and marrow. We know that it's God breathed. We know that it's inspired. We've talked about the passages before that talk about all inspiration is, uh, given by inspiration and it's God breathed. Mm. Literally, that's what it's saying. And I also think, you know, when you think about that, normally you think about when the writers are writing it, but that inspiration, that breath, all of that, it, it sort of plows through all these years and it becomes something individual for every single person. That's the amazing thing about the Bible is that when I read it, God speaks directly to me and you read the same passage and you may or may not get the same, I don't want to say the same thing. We're reading the same words. But God is speaking and working in a way that is individual. Well, and certain things are going to stand out to me that than what stand out to you. And so, you know, I can glean from you and you can glean from me and we walk away with twice as much. Absolutely. And, and a lot deeper sometimes. It sparks, it sparks the conversation. It sparks the thought process. Uh, and it's truly, for me, a lot of times light bulbs go off. It's like, oh, I, yeah. I've i read that passage a hundred times and never even thought of that. you know. Yeah. And then so you look at it in a little different perspective, a little different way. But today what we want to look at is a passage in Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. This, this story is really about the word of God. And mm-hmm. to me, it's a pretty incredible story when you think about it. The people of Israel have been, because, and as God promised them, he would do, uh, they disobeyed him and he said, this is what's going to happen. You know, you follow my way. It's the right way. You need to do these things. And if you don't, if you rebel, if you choose other gods, if you, if you chase other religions, if you don't obey my word, you will go into captivity. And so they, they did, they were taken into Babylon, uh, Israel, the, uh, the nation of Israel went first, and then Judah went second, and boom, they're in captivity. But while they're in captivity, I don't even know that the captivity was over. There was a, there was a portion of people that were able to come back. Mm-hmm. So not everybody came back at the same time, but the forerunners were prophets who came, who God laid on their hearts. And I think in particular of Ezra and Nehemiah, mm-hmm. where they longed for... Not just the home country, but there it, there was a deeper longing there, wasn't there? There was. Well, and I think in order to understand that deeper longing, you have to back up to before they um, were taken off to Babylon. Because the Jewish faith was uh, organized around God's presence all the mm. way back from the tabernacle. I mean, yes. the way they set up when they started their journey towards the promised land was 
in relationship to the tabernacle. You know, certain tribes were to this side and certain tribes were to the other side and certain ones were at the front. And, mm-hmm. and the tabernacle was central um, to their encampment. And so everything was organized and it, around God's presence and around the place of worship. And so what you had is when they came into the promised land, that was one of the things that was established over time through um, the building of the temple is that it was in the center, the heart of Jerusalem. Um, and so you have them yet again, everybody looks towards Jerusalem um, and so, you know, you'll find things in, in like Daniel where he prays towards mm-hmm. Jerusalem. He's in captivity, like we talked about, and he prays towards Jerusalem, towards where the temple used to be. Um, and so all of them had this longing to be back in Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city walls and and reestablish themselves mm. in the land. Yeah. And it, it went deep enough to those who were spiritually minded to recognize, I mean, obviously they're, they're suffering the consequences of their rebellion, but to know that they rebelled and that there was a distance between them and God. I mean, for us, it's hard to even kind of grasp because as a, as a believer today, you know, we have the Holy spirit with us. We don't have to, uh, even in the old Testament, you know, the Holy spirit came upon people. He wasn't inside them. So with Jesus as a new covenant, it's different for us. Yes. So I have to sometimes stop and think about what that would be like if there's diff, you know, distance. I mean, obviously sin can put a, a barrier or a wall in the fellowship, but it doesn't break our relationship. But for that period of time and in that covenant, the distance was felt and it was hard. It was a hard distance. Do you know what I'm saying? Spiritually speaking? Absolutely. And the other part of that, Missy, is because there was no temple, there was no way to bridge that gap with God from God's end of things. Mm -hmm. Because that's what the sacrifices did. The sacrifices were what God accepted Mm. and and supplied with forgiveness. Yeah. You know, it, it was what God accepted as the sacrifice for forgiveness. To remove that sin guilt, um, or you know, it does if that makes sense. It was before Christ provided mm-hmm. that one-time propitiation, yeah, uh, that one-time satisfaction for God's wrath, um, you know. And when Jesus did that as the pure and spotless Lamb died on the cross, He went to heaven and presented Himself as that perfect sacrifice, according to what Hebrews tells us. That's and he sacrificed, he died once for all. And then when he was done, he sat. Mm. He sat in heaven. It was finished, it was complete. Um, I love the scene where Jesus says to tell us die, it's mm-hmm. done. And Missy, I don't know if you know the story with that, but in Bible times, what they would do is when you had a debt with somebody, a legal document was created and your mark was affixed to it that labeled and, and, and listed out the stipulations of your death and how you were going to pay it off. And so as you made payments and as you made progress on your debt, it would be written on almost like a ledger. And when you completed your debt, in red, to Tetelestai would be written across it. And you would get to finally keep that. Your debtor owns it up until the point that it's paid in full. 
um, and then it becomes your property. And what would happen is, it, you know, once you had paid it in full and Tetelestai was written across it, you would take it home and you would nail it around your door frame of your house. And you'd call your friends and your neighbors and you would rejoice in the fact that your debt was satisfied. It was mm. paid. Um, and that is that term, Tetelestai. It is finished. My debt is finished paid in full. Um, And so when Jesus literally surrenders his life on the cross, he says to Telestai, it is finished. He's saying paid in full. Mm, Beautiful. Absolutely love that. You know, so we, we have to understand is this is before that moment. Right. Their temple was how they paid their debt mm. and they're they were unable in babylon they were distanced but yeah. as they get sent back there and there's i mean the whole story of of what the opposition they faced in rebuilding the walls and yeah. rebuilding the temple and all of those things but when we come to nehemiah chapter 8 uh let's just read this chapter and see uh at least a portion of it let's go uh uh let's go down through verse 8 if that sounds okay to you that sounds good Verse 1 says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand and, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, uh, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masiah on his right hand. And Petaliah, Mishael, Melchijah, Hashem, Hashbadeah, Zechariah, Meshalem on his left hand. And just as a side note, I apologize to all of those Old Testament men who I really butchered their names. Uh, it goes on to say in verse uh, 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Yeshua uh, Bani, Sherebath, Jamin, Akbub, uh, Jazabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, all helped the people to understand the law. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That was quite a preaching session, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a pretty intense church service. Yeah. And we have to understand that would have been the first time in a lifetime mm. that some of these people had heard God's word read aloud. Yeah. You know, it had been seven years since they'd been home. Some of them were born in captivity. Yeah. You know, and so this would have been something they had heard about and they were experiencing it for the first time. They had their city back. They had their worship back. They had a way to connect with God and get rid of that distance. You know, we're, we're talking about how intense that moment is. And we've, we've just talked about how the word of God is living, breathing, and how it, it penetrates to mm-hmm. the heart individually. And so it, the moment is intense because of the historical and the cultural meaning. But spiritually speaking, 
the people that are there, I mean, we talk about revival in today's day and age. That was a moment where I believe hearts and lives were, were, it was almost like lightning struck them. That's how powerful those moments were. Because as they heard the word of God and they began to understand what God was telling them, I, I can only imagine that they, they, they went through the whole process of recognizing their own sin and being repentant of the sin and then praising God and being so grateful for a God who loved them. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like oh, all absolutely. those emotions that came with that. Uh, and again, I think about, okay, so they're standing all this time as the law is read and it's from, you know, how many hours were they standing there listening intently? Everybody who could understand what was being said stood there and listened. Uh, we complain when we sit in a padded church pew and we're, you know, you, you've you spoken for more than 20 minutes, you know. Uh, honestly, this is an incredible moment and a very important one for Israel because they are, they're, what do I want to say, kind of reacclimating themselves to their spiritual position and recognizing again everything that they had lost but also everything that they had gained that god had given them that they were originally given in god's covenant to them and you know missy i love the point that you make about the spiritual shift that would have happened because for the israelite people um for the hebrews the body posture reflects the soul's inner mm-hmm. posture, you know. And so uh, just the sheer fact of them bowing uh, low and mm-hmm. worshiping the Lord, their faces to the ground, that body posture displays, it displays the status of the hearts. Yeah. and exactly what's is what going it on. does. Yeah, this isn't like liturgy where, you know, it yes. says sit. Right. And, you know, <laughs> kneel. You know, it, it wasn't like yeah. that. This was a movement of the people. Yeah. You know, when um, when we have Ezra coming to the stage to, to basically start reading the word, that standing up just was a movement of God in their mm-hmm. hearts and mm-hmm. in their midst. Yeah. Yeah, it was a powerful movement of the spirit, truly of the spirit in in that moment. And you can tell how intense it is because even as you continue reading in verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So the re- the repentant hearts are it, it's seen there in that scene as it's described. They're weeping because they realize how far away from God they'd gotten. But the news is good because, you know, Nehemiah, Ezra, the priests, they're all telling them, hey, the Levites are saying, don't mourn. This is a time for great rejoicing. We, we are joyful because God has chosen us and his love is so great talk a lot about that and we can see that and feel that in the new testament but god is the same god today as he was then Mm -hmm. and you can see his great love for these people yeah i mean they have they have 
they have literally turned their back on him and denied and betrayed and walked away and gone their own way. And, and yes, there were consequences as he told them there would be. But then he, then he draws them in again with his love. That's just such a beautiful picture of who God really is. You know, we sometimes see God as a very imposing, strict disciplinarian. You know, he's up there with a ruler ready to wrap your hands or to shake his finger in condemnation. And yes, he is a holy God, absolutely. But his love for us is so great that he's done everything he can to make a way for us to be near him, even when we're not worthy of being near him. Even when we mess up so bad, there's no way to fix it. He's fixed it. He's made it right. Um, I don't know. I just can try to picture this scene. And, oh, my goodness, probably the biggest, most powerful worship service I've been in was nothing compared to what it was like that day, mm-hmm. hearing the word of God literally for the first time in decades and recognizing who God was and how much he loved them. Pretty incredible. You know, this kind of strikes off um, in the next couple uh, verses, this reinstituting of all of these feasts and the sacrifices and just all of this. Um, basically, it's like restarting uh, all of these spiritual uh, practices from their former paths, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, um, it, this just, and these people, most of these would not have remembered them. Um, very few would have actually have outlived the 70 years. Um, you know, it's, I was just thinking Israel has had these time periods where they've, they've suffered the wilderness or, you know, um, captivity or different things because of their disobedience. And it makes me think of the generations that had to pass in order for the, the children of Israel actually to be able to enter the promised land Mm -hmm. all because they grumbled and they, you know, they did not walk faithful in, in, uh, in obedience to the Lord. And so they had been here before. But this was a lot longer. This was 30 years longer than what they had had in the wilderness, you know. Um, so it's not like they had, didn't have a warning that God wasn't mm. going to, you know, that God was going to do this. They knew that when God said he was going to do something like this, he did it. He did it, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, you know, but what you have here is the reinstitution, the restoration of worship. Um, and so I'm going to pick up at verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of the father's households of all of the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight into the words of law. I love this because what you have here is bigger than Sunday school. (laughs) This is massive Bible Bible training. Yeah, Bible study, Bible training. A theology this is school. seminary. Mm-hmm. Theology school. Yeah, absolutely. Verse 14. And they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded 
through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seventh month. Now, keep in mind, none of these people probably were old enough to have remembered this. So they are rediscovering things mm. that maybe they heard about but hadn't been practiced in 70 years. Uh, can you picture it? Wait, wait, what? What? It's the seventh month. We're supposed to be doing this? Okay, well, yeah. wait, let's look at what are we supposed to be doing? Right. How do we do this? Yeah. What, what does this look like? <laughs> yeah. Uh, verse 15. So they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all of their cities and in Jerusalem saying, go out to the hills and bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So in other words, they literally gave him an instruction manual. Missy, I just love this. Verse 16, so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each one on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in them. The sons of Israel had indeed not done so from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. Wow. Wow. From the time of Joshua to to this moment, they hadn't done that. That was far before 70 years. Mm. So this truly is something that they found in the law that they had forgotten existed. I love verse 18 because it says, And day by day from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. Uh, They couldn't get enough. They, they couldn't get enough. It goes on to say they kept the, the, they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So for the first time in how long they were being obedient to what God called them to do. That's almost beyond what I can kind of comprehend in some ways. And yet, you know, you think, oh, if I'd been there, or how could they? Like, how could they not? How Didn't they know? I'll just I'll have to just look at my own life and say, oh yeah. <laughs> How many times a day do I have to stop and say, oh I I need to repent of this. This is the wrong attitude. This is this is the wrong thing to be doing. God, you tell me this in your word, and I'm not obeying that. I mean, people are people, and we are yeah. all the same basically. The thing that's exciting about this is again a reminder of God's great love for them. And the fact that they were obeying him, the joy that it brought to them, yeah. like that's what I want to take with me today. Like remember, the things that God tells us in his word are for my good. Yeah, It's the best way for me to live my life. It's my best life because God made me. He created me. And so the things he tells me to do in his word, if I will do them, there will be great rejoicing. There will be great blessing. And if I don't, There will be consequences as well. Now, maybe they won't be eternal consequences for me, but there will be hard times for sure. You know, Missy, I, the thing I'm going to walk away from with this is the, the excitement Mm. of, of reading God's word for the first time after such a spell, the, the, the way that they were searching the scriptures, just excited about what they were finding, you know, and, and honestly, where we sit now, two fifths of our church never, according to research studies say they never read the God's word. 
Never. What would happen if our churches would open up God's word and with this kind of attitude, search the scriptures to see what kind of cool stuff they find? Yeah. I mean, to some extent, and like, that's a challenge for me. Like the last time I got in God's word, did I, I'm going to use just a weird statement, but did I geek over, geek out over what I was finding? Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I want to carry from this. That's what I want to hold on to is just... Do I come at God's word eager to see what I can find? Mm, love it. Eager, eager to see what I can excavate, so to speak, from the reading of his word. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Some amazing things. You know, but listeners, truly, we say this all the time. Don't take our word for it. Open the word for yourself and find, you know, be a geek and check and find, you know, dig for those treasures. Dig for those uh, aha moments. Dig for the jewels. Dig for the things that speak to your heart. If you open God's word and ask him to reveal himself to you, he will. If you open God's word and say, God, show me what you want me to see and what you want me to learn, he will, he will, he'll illuminate it as if, as if he took a spotlight and shown it right on there. You'll read a verse and you'll be like, you wrote that just for me. I know you did because it's so what I needed right now or so what I was looking for. Uh, God's word is an amazing, amazing book. It's miraculous in so many ways, and it's relevant to today. So we encourage you. Don't take our word for it. Open the word for yourself. Open the word with Circle of Friends. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed. Step back in time with a stay at one of the oldest buildings in historic Berlin, Ohio, the Worthman House. This charming building has a rich history with origins dating back to as early as the mid-1800s. The newly restored two-bedroom, one-bathroom suite has hardwood floors and gorgeous chestnut trim throughout. It is also outfitted with locally made Amish furniture. It can sleep six and offers a beautiful panoramic view of Berlin's Main Street. Its location in the heart of Berlin is an ideal spot for walking to various restaurants and shops. Book your stay at the Worthman House through VRBO.